Hello, I'm Michael Brodeur, and welcome to Leaders Alliance. We are a global community of kingdom-minded leaders who are passionate about helping you become the world-changing leader that God created you to be. Join the conversation. So exciting today. We have a good friend of mine. Peter Young is going to be on an amazing leader, uh, a theologian, just an incredible guy. I'll introduce him in just a few minutes. But as we get started, you know, I I like to just give a little bit of understanding as to who we are and what we're up to. We are Leaders Alliance. We're a new movement of kingdom minded leaders that are really focused on trying to put our money where our mouth is, trying to put our the reality where the vision is and really see impact in the world around us. And our approach is a little bit different than some. You know, we have on this on the one hand, we have a lot of church leader conferences that are focused on strengthening church leaders, and then we also have on the other hand a lot of marketplace focus and different things going on in the world around us that are, you know, good things, but the problem is those two camps almost never speak to one another. And I believe that's one of the reasons why the church has lost its voice in recent culture is because, first of all, our leader level has dropped to the point where we're not influencing the world as we ought to. But one of the main reasons why it has dropped is because we get so focused on the church side for church things, you know, conferences and concerts and all the stuff we do in the church that keeps people wrapped into the church and not really empowering them for the world outside the church. On the other hand, we have people that are on the outside of the church doing all their kingdom stuff the best they know how, but because they're not rooted in the local church, there tends to be a gap that's created. And we want to bridge that gap. We want to build a partnership between those who are the priests and those who are the kings. We want to bring those two things together because Jesus said that you shall be a generation of priests and kings. And so we want to actually see the reunion of those who are in the marketplace impacting the world, those who are in the church building disciples, bring those two realities together so that we can build kingdom embassies around the world that'll be diffusing kingdom wisdom, kingdom anointing, kingdom blessing to every sphere of society. And so we want to invite you to join us, to be part of Leaders Alliance. The first way you can do that is just by visiting our website, leadersalliance.org. And uh, we have a free kind of sampler of three different teachings on leadership that are right on the front page. You can sign up for that for free and uh, you'll be on our newsletter after that. You'll get, you know, different communication of what we're doing, how we're building. But if you want to become a member, we encourage you to sign up because it's an incredible um, dynamic. What we have is we have catalyst groups. You know, most networks and, and movements are organized around geography. Oh, you happen to be in this city or this area, you know, connect with these people here. What we're organizing around is passion. We want to strengthen church leaders, marketplace leaders, thought leaders, uh, church planters, um, people that are focused on education, people that are focused on media. We want to be able to gather people together and get them dreaming together and collaborating together to build transformational resources that will touch the body of Christ in every sphere of society. And so this is really what we're focused around is passion. And we want to help build a platform for you so that your passion can find a place of of expression, so that you can actually begin to touch others, that you can be drawn upon by others, that you can actually be influencing others in a way and partnering with others in a way that produces true change in the world around us. So we're just in our formative stages. We launched two months ago, and we're excited about this next year because this is where the things are going to gel and come together. 
but anyway, that's a bit about Leaders Alliance. But as we move forward, I want to introduce my dear friend, Peter Young, Dr. Peter Young. He's an amazing leader in the body of Christ. And uh, I've had the privilege of being in the church that he established, Bridgeway Church in Denver, Colorado. Uh, just an amazing group of leaders that he's developed, an amazing group of... Um, he's probably one of the leaders that I know that has actually been able to integrate the supernatural and the super practical in a very powerful way. One of the most uh, spirit-filled churches that I know, allowing for kingdom activity and healing and prophetic and so forth. But on the other hand, also wise leadership that's strategic and building leaders and producing outcomes in an amazing way. So, Dr. Peter Young, why don't you introduce yourself, share a little about who, about who you are? Well, and, uh, well, that was quite the introduction, Michael. Thank you so much. You're a good friend as well, and you've been a great source to our house of you know benefit and value and i would encourage everybody to that's listening if you're not signed up for leaders alliance and these catalyst groups well worth your time i very much believe in the ministry and you know as leaders we're constantly growing we're constantly developing ourselves you know if you're if you're not growing you're dying if you're growing you continue to increase and so this is a wonderful forum there's great leaders around the world and so it's a real privilege to be here today. And uh, I think you gave me a good introduction. I do pastor a church. I used to be in the marketplace, a leader in that environment prior to being a pastor. Why don't you share the story? Share how you came to Christ, share how you were yeah. career directed, but then came into ministry. How did that all happen? Yeah, you know, I accepted the Lord at, believe it or not, a fraternity house in, in college, but I'd had a sense of leadership most of my life. I had been doing anything from, you know, uh, training people on, you know, ballroom dancing way back in my day to football, to just variety of things and, and saw that. In fact, my first resume when I got out of college was, you know, I, I presented five things that I felt I could bring to any organization. And the first one was leadership, you know, then creativity, salesmanship, other things. But, um, I ended up in that environment in, in a banking world. I was, um, I was in the commercial side of banking and I became a department manager in what's called treasury management. I was a treasury management sales, had a group of uh, uh, salespeople under me, both at the local and then the national level. And then I became an entire department manager before I ended up moving into pastoring. And I was a vice president, realized I was you know, either going to commit to that. I'd done lay ministry a lot in churches. Um, while I was in banking, in fact, led a, a bank Bible study in the downtown of Denver where I live and and uh, also amongst business leaders in the community. And then anything from elder to small group leader to children's director, different things at a lay capacity at churches. And so mm -hmm. I, I felt like the Lord said to me, um, you can, you know, I was asking the Lord uh, about what to do because most of my clients that I had would say, uh, you know, Peter, have you ever thought of being a pastor? You're such a, <laughs> I, I had more affirmation for that actually in the marketplace than I, uh, I did. Um, <clears throat> see a little noise from the audio. Let me see if I can turn my volume down. Maybe that'll work a little bit. Do that. Turn it down. Is this a little better? Let me know. So yeah. uh, I'll continue. Just let me know, Michael, if there's sure. um, different sound that needs to be made. So at any rate, yeah, I, I 
felt like the Lord said to me, you can stay in banking and I'll make you a marketplace apostle. And I had no idea what that was at the time. Or you can be a pastor and you'll bless, I'll bless that as well. And I think leadership in the kingdom can be either in a secular or a church environment. And I think I made possibly a very big impact, bigger than I realized in the banking world where I was. And with the Fortune 1000 companies I used to call on. And so I think all the principles we may discuss today, Michael, apply both in nonprofits, church, marketplace. And so that's a little bit about my story. And, you know, God did get a hold of my life through a Bible study in the fraternity house. And that's how that's we started. Awesome. And here we are leading a church at the moment. So And talk about wife and kids a little bit. Tell us about your family. Thank you. Yeah, I am married. I, I do have four kids. Uh, we're empty nesters at this point. My wife works in Denver Public Schools. And so her mission field is actually in the public school system. Wow. And she has 35 languages at her local school. Most are uh, of people of color, children of color. And she goes to the world every, every day when she goes to school. She absolutely loves it. So we've not been the sort of pastor, co-pastor thing. She's always had a a realm in the marketplace while we've been married or homeschooling our children. Our four kids are grown. One's a, a worship leader in Boise, Idaho. Another is um, a designer in Ohio. I've got another breaking into Hollywood, trying to be a Christian in the Hollywood scene. And then a, a daughter who's in the area working in the marketplace for a kingdom company, which is really a fascinating company, actually. Wow, that's so, amazing. Couple married, a well, few grandkids. Amazing. Well, maybe would uh, in the future, I'd love to have you guys back on with your wife to talk about education a little bit. Absolutely. I, I just believe there's such a need for the church to be present in that world. Absolutely. So, I totally anyway, agree. But you're involved in education too. You're you're uh, teaching at a seminary. You're also uh, working with Randy Clark and some of his teaching as well. Tell us a little bit about that part of your world. Yeah. I my world is I do travel a little bit itinerantly. I'll teach it a lot of youth with a mission basis. I've got a, a group I teach with in East Africa. And then I am part of Denver Seminary, uh, Randy Clark's Global Awakening Seminary. I'm, I'm currently teaching a New Testament class uh, at his College of Ministry. So I've, I really am involved in, what, three academic institutions. And I do do a leadership class in Randy's seminary and a class on healing and deliverance at Denver Seminary. So wow. Involved in quite a few things there well, as well. We're so honored to have you on this particular podcast. So thank you so much. And also, um, one other thing I wanted to explore a little bit as we get started is just you were a part of the Vineyard Movement for a while. Talk to me about your experiences with Wimber. What were some of the things you picked up in that part of the world in terms of leadership principles and how you've applied those in your life as you began to pastor? Yeah, yeah. You and I both have a background in Vineyard, and it was a wonderful growing up experience. Um, for me, I grew up in the liturgical church, in an Anglican church, did not mm -hmm. know the Lord there, then saved in an, um, a Baptist church that was dispensational, and then evangelical church. So I sort of liturgical evangelical. And when I met John Wimber in 1983, I was, it like answered all of the desires of my heart around the things of the kingdom, the Holy Spirit that I'd known were needed. And, uh, as I joined that in 1984, my wife and I joined the vineyard. You know, I, I think I served in the vineyard 23 years. Uh, in fact, we planted our church as a vineyard. 
We're not a vineyard at the moment. Um, that's a story in and of itself, and it could have some leadership principles with that. But um, yeah, I felt like the vineyard modeled uh, very much what I call an empowering culture. I picked up on that. I even used it in my secular career quite a bit. Um, I had, at the time that I joined the vineyard, I I had a what I call a fear, shame, control kind of manager, very much a CEO that was micromanaging, would shame people. It was a hot, sort of like a sweatshop in the environment. <laughs> and when you came under John Wimber, it was more, you know, everyone gets to play. Um, people are our greatest asset and language like that. And I actually, when I became a manager, I used a number of the things I learned from the vineyard in the secular realm wow. about, you know, developing great people, uh, about creating a culture that was life-giving versus control and, and letting people run, make their mistakes. John was a master at doing that. Um, so yeah, the vineyard was a wonderful training ground that way. That's amazing. So, and then as you you know, felt this call to pastoring, you began a church. Talk about that season and how the church grew, because you became, you, I mean, your church is one of the influential churches in your region. Talk about that. You know, how did you grow over the last, what, 15 years is it or something? Yeah, it's, it's been over 20 now, Michael. It's wow. been a while. But amazing. Uh, yeah, we started with three couples in our living room. And um, so literally for, I think the first nine months, we, we met as a small group and uh, we really weren't given much of an announcement. So it was kind of word of mouth and street signs. And we began to grow and develop. And really the first, I would say the first two to three years was all about leadership development when you're church planting mm. and or starting a business. What you're really doing in that environment is you're developing leaders. Virtually everybody with you becomes a leader at some capacity and you're just constantly building your casting vision, your and you're creating an entrepreneurial kind of mindset amongst everybody. And, you know, 100% buy-in needs to be complete alignment. So we, we went to a Sunday morning eventually in, a, in an elementary school, then a high school, and then gradually a messianic building. And then we moved to our own. We bought a warehouse in Denver right off the highway. And that's where we meet today. But it was a process of various stages. And um, I think Lal Schaller's book on leadership was instructive, you know, at a certain level, you know, under a hundred, you're a shepherd and you know, everybody by name, everybody depends on you. You do everything. And then as you move from that, you become a rancher where you've got a few hired hands and, and eventually, you, you know, go through three stages. And what I think we discovered is there's there's church growth barriers and it mm. to get through that barrier requires a change of leadership style. So mm. we had a barrier at about a hundred. Um, and what it was required to get beyond a hundred was for me to have five or six other key leaders preaching, leading small groups, doing other things to take us to the next level. Same thing happened in the secular realm I was at when I was mm -hmm. uh, in banking. I, you know, as that department grew, it became a fairly influential department with about a third of the non-interest income of the bank. And, mm. you know, I was constantly developing leaders. So I think that jumping to the next level is really requires a, a promotion of new leaders. And 
I think the next barrier was at about 250 at, at the church level. And that required a leadership shift. And then when I hit about 500, uh, we needed another leadership shift. Um, and I think that's true for any organization that mm. um, you constantly have to work yourself out of a job. You've got to empower others and even change the style of leadership. Um, today, what I would say is if I could say above the line is vision, values, culture, um, the spiritual DNA or the cultural DNA of the organization you're part of below the line is the details, um, how to do it, why to do it, all the different um, elements of making it happen. And I think at my level of leadership, if I drop below the line and I start telling people what to do, I, I'm disempowering everybody around me. Mm -hmm. So I constantly have to discipline myself because I am a practitioner. I, I have great vision. I intuitively know what to do, but I have to let everybody around me fail <laughs> if they need to, to learn yeah. to go. Yeah. Because if I micromanage or live below the line at this point, I can't continue to grow the organization. I become the actual cap mm. to our size because I, for us to continue growing, and this would be in both the marketplace or in any environment at a church, nonprofit, uh, anywhere, you've got to empower leaders and you've got to step away from it. So absolutely. Well, let me let me drill in a little bit because you know we've spent time together. You you let me know that you weren't necessarily the the, the classic uh, type A leader. You know, you weren't necessarily the the high D you know or high DI dynamic. Um, right. Talk to me a little about that because you've done such a great job in leadership. But you lead in a slightly from a slightly different angle than many of the sort of preconceptions of leadership. Talk to me about that. Yeah, that's true. That's an interesting question. You know, in fact, for those of you that aren't a D or an I on the DISC profile, the, the other would be S, which is sort of the one on one relationship and a C, which is the details person. I'm an SC. I'm 100 percent S with a, a, you know, an above the line sort of 75 percent C, which is why I was great. Uh, at consultative sales. I, I went to an engineering college. I can see all the details intuitively, but I do have a D above the line. But I think the way to, to see that is, you know, the first thing, Michael, is, um, you know, I did feel a little bit inferior to other leaders because I did lead more collegially, more with team. Um, I wasn't as driven to get uh, tasks done. And here's how that's been of value to me. Some of the high D, the high I, they create this environment that's fast paced, um, high performance, grows fast, etc. And I remember feeling like the Lord said to me that um, you grow a squash plant in 60 days and reap its fruit. But an acorn tree takes literally decades before it produces its fruit and it lives for hundreds of years. And I, I, I felt like the Lord was challenging me to have a hundred year vision for my organization. Yeah. So my SC has allowed me to be very relational and intentional in, in mentoring, fathering, developing leaders, because I'm, I'm not as driven to like, it's got to be this high paced, you know, next thing environment. Uh, but um, and it's allowed me to build very intentionally. Mm -hmm. uh, and I and I think. You know, I have developed confidence. I, I'm around a lot of high D, high I leaders that are other and they do. They grow churches much faster, the much more charisma. But I think for me, I'm I'm trying to create great people. And 
my my skill set and my 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 personality of you know fathering and coaching actually helps and i would challenge our high d people that they actually blow people up at times yeah. because they're constantly putting uh, pressures on people that they can't and they may not have the relational and emotional health to do that Wow. So that's a little bit of my journey with that. And, you know, I actually wrote an identity statement. I can read it to you. Sure. I'd love um, it. Around my who I am, because for a while I felt inferior as a leader. I, I, I'm actually, unlike some of the early vineyard people who could prophesy, heal the sick, cast out demons, lead worship, do everything. Uh, the Lord, the Lord spoke to me. I was not that gifted in some of those areas initially. He said, "You're going to build a, a church of superstars, wow. and that, and and you won't be the superstar." And actually, I took that into my banking environment. So the person I left my department to is now president of the entire Western region for Wells Fargo, wow. um, and a number of those leaders became somebody. Um, and it's true. It, in my environment here, I've probably seen seven or eight that now lead worship at other churches. We've got some itinerant ministers that are ordained by us that are literally leading crusades for 100,000. We've had wow. several churches and ministries plant. And it's because I've had this long-term vision. So here's my statement. I'm called to be a leader of leaders, father to fathers, to empower others in the ministry of the kingdom of God and the Holy Spirit and equip people in their full potential, hashtag follow me. And I think that that idea of full potential is, is, is the key. You know, when I was in banking, I was trying to make the best salespeople or the best customer service people or product developers possible. And I realized if, if they became amazing, my department became amazing. And I, if you will, I didn't have to do anything because they made they made me look great. And the same thing is true <laughs> in the church. If I have great leaders that are empowered and, and allowed to run, um, they will they will build something that that is way bigger than I could possibly do myself. Wow, that's so good. Yeah, yeah. I think um, it's, it's actually such good news for leaders who did disqualify themselves because they weren't the, yeah. the fancy, you know, kind of... Uh, person with all the gift of gab and the ability to kind of make it all happen, that that there's other ways of approaching leadership that in some ways are even more effective from a kingdom standpoint. And I think that's what you demonstrate. So I, I think that's the key. Uh, and this kingdom company I mentioned, you know, they give 20% of their profits away. They, they save or reinvest 20%, live off 60. Wow. They have since spun off 40 companies. How they hire somebody is they hire a, a young individual with high vision and they see a skill set on it and the the core of that main company the holding company um they actually build that leader and help them form their own company they're literally a destiny incubator wow. for great people That's and so as a great. result and then some of those then support the overall company plan they're literally have launched 35 kingdom companies and right now they just bought eight or ten buildings in one of our are sort of dying ghost town, uh, mountain towns. And they're literally transforming a town and they're using some of these great leaders to actually do that. Wow. But it's because they've had this idea, we will grow a great organization by growing a great people. 
Wow. And so that principle of empowering and developing people, it, Michael, you know this, you were brilliant at it when you were a vineyard in San Francisco and you developed, I don't know how many small groups, grew to a thousand. Um, that is it. If we don't have successional plans to make others better than us, um, we, we cap our organization. And one of the phrases I hate that you hear in ministry is you can't take people beyond where you go yourself. <laughs> I totally disagree with that. If my limitation was my gifting, I'd never have a son acting in Hollywood. I'd never have a son leading <laughs> worship. And so why not take that family paradigm and put it on our church and believe that our people could be absolutely amazing. And that my job is to discover and unlock their potential and then get behind them to, to become something. Wow. And when you do that, they actually build your organization and it's very organic versus program centered. Wow. Well, do you, do you, do you think it's okay for you to share the name of the company you're talking about? Cause that's, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah. Go ahead. You could, you could look it up. It's called unbridled companies unbridled. Um, they have a nonprofit called unbridled acts and you could look up on their website. You could see some of their right. philosophy in the marketplace. And I think, what I'm gaining from that, my own experience in the marketplace, I led my department by kingdom principles. Mm -hmm. And um, I did not buy the thing of the greed mentality of the sweatshop performance. And I really want to encourage no matter the sphere, whether you're in schools, if you're in, in law, if you're in, you know, a finance or business or entertainment, anywhere you go, if you em embrace kingdom principles, um, you know, you can see an amazing impact. Mm -hmm. And this company is literally, um, I think that I, I was just on uh, on the, a phone call. We had lunch actually with the owner and they told me their 20% giveaway this year. They're, they've had a tough year with COVID, but they're going to give $1.5 million away. And wow. they're doing that into other nonprofits to kingdom things around the area. I mean, it's just, I mean, way to go. That's so good. <laughs> well, actually, I have a good friend who works for that company as well. So yeah, you I've do. just been following them and just, you know, and super impressed with all that they're doing. And it seems like you get a little bit of input into that world as well, which is awesome. So yeah, my daughter works for them. And so oh, yeah. I, uh, I keep tabs of it. And I think, you know, for me, I miss the marketplace because, yeah. you know, the kingdom is so much bigger than local church. Um, yeah. and you know that so well that, um, if we're really serious about the kingdom and discipling nations, it, it must go beyond the local church. Yeah. And, and uh, it can't just be the only way to grow in leadership and grow in influence is to just climb the church ladder, so to speak. That's and so right. um, part of my job, even as a pastor, I've taken that is to literally ordain and empower people to become pastors or marketplace or leaders or evangelists that, that, do kingdom things in the marketplace. Uh, you know, I wow. feel like I'd fail as a pastor if I didn't equip that. Well, let's talk about that for a moment because that's obviously something that Leaders Alliance is formed around. We want to build or restore the partnership between the marketplace and the local church, bring that together. You used a phrase earlier that some people have used and some people have complained about this idea of a marketplace apostle. Yes. Um, and I see the word apostle in its most basic form that it's a sent one. 
Yeah. So, you know, but there's some intentionality there. There's a sense of focus. There's a sense of preparation. There's a sense of ongoing support and connection. So if you as a pastor are sending people into the marketplace, they are by by simple definition, marketplace apostles to some extent. How do you understand the term and how do, how do we apply that term as we seek to build this partnership? Yeah, well, I think, you know, the term here's where that comes from, Michael, theologically. And I know this because I teach in the seminaries. You know, there were really only 12 original apostles and then right. Apostle Paul replacing Judas and that, you know, saw Jesus with their own eyes in the person, uh, moved in signs and wonders, all those things. And so I think the rub in the body of Christ is how can the rest of us or anybody else say apostle? But really the word, as you know, the etymology is sent one. And it comes from the Greco-Roman world where they literally sent an ambassador. In, in the Greek world, it was an armada of ships, and the lead ship was called an apostolate. And in the Roman world, it was an envoy that would like, literally take the culture of Rome to a territory and, and bring the culture of Rome to that territory. So the way I understand the gift in the New Testament that continues today is we are— a, a, an apostle is one who's been graced by God with the attendant gifting to literally take the kingdom culture and plant that in an environment where God places them. So if you will, you could look at someone like Esther. She was apostolic in King Artaxerxes' house. She had an yes. assignment in that house. And, um, you know, we see that. We see marketplace people changed and touched. Paul in Corinth, moved to the marketplace to meet. And it was the key governor of Corinth that allowed that. And so, if you will, the, the marketplace partnered with that apostolic assignment of allowing the kingdom culture to go. And so, for me, uh, for example, I know an insurance company president, and when we caught, they caught this vision that said, I could bring the kingdom in my marketplace. Um, they, they pray for clients. Um, they have both believer and non-believers on staff, obviously, but they've actually gone so far as several people say that some of the salespeople in that office, they're their pastors. Wow. And uh, there was a story that really impacted me. One of one of the people came in, she was in tears. They, the receptionist said, are you okay? And well, no, I just found out my baby's died. I've got to, you know, I've got to go into the doctor tomorrow and I'm just, I'm just devastated. So the receptionist there called several in the office. They prayed for this woman and the baby came back to life that day wow. in the room. Wow. And so, I mean, this is that's an apostolic assignment, if you will, in the marketplace. And so I think we have to expand our knowledge beyond the original 12. And and so for me, what I felt it meant is um, I was known in the banking world. People, when they were in crisis, would say, come up to find me at a copy machine or somewhere and say, Hey, I hear you not know God. Can we meet? And it was wow. because they saw me, if you will, talking and brokering the kingdom and praying for people and seeing miracles. And, um, it, it made a difference. It, it changed the environment. That is so amazing. No, I feel like that. And, and also your explanation of the apostolic, you know, is, is also amazing. Uh, I think if you actually pay close attention, there's 26 references to individuals with the title apostle. Yeah. Um, not so much as a title, but really as a function. It's a and, function. And so, yeah. And that's where we get hung up sometimes, you know. 
And I feel apostle, you know, I take this out of the passage in, in you know, first Corinthians um, chapter four, you know, sort of 13 through 19, where uh, Paul says, I'm sending Timothy to you. And here's how he words it. He says, you have thousands of guardians or teachers in yeah. Christ, but few fathers. Yeah. But as your father, I'm sending my son, Timothy. And we, you realize that, um, that the apostolic mandate is truly a fathering mandate. Yeah. And I think if you want to be a father, an apostle, you you start with fathering. Yes. Yeah. Signs and wonders follow. We're in a movement, of course, Michael, where we see it. Yeah. You know, I was touched in Toronto just like you were, but the the um, this whole thing of fathering, and and so for me, the reason I was an apostle in the marketplace is I was fathering people to be great. Wow. Uh, and releasing the kingdom in that context. That's all I'm doing in the church world. Yeah. And I think that's the essence of apostolic ministry. I'm yeah. equipping others to be amazing. That's Ephesians 4, 11 to 16. Totally. And that's what I've said actually again and again, is that the most important verse in Ephesians 4, 11 through 16 is not verse 11. It's no. only verse 12. <laughs> verse 12 is Exactly, that we're supposed to be equipping. You know, an apostle is not somebody who stands on a stage with a microphone. It's somebody who is actually raising up sons and daughters into their full maturity in Christ. And there's something so powerful about that dynamic. And so there is. I was just going to pull it up so we could we could look at this. And we I feel like we might want to make um, a declaration around this. You know, when it talks yeah. about fivefold, it's not just apostles; it's prophets, people that call out destiny. It's evangelists yeah. that help people leak Christ in their environment. Um, it, you know, it's pastors, teachers, uh, people that care for others. But it says to bring others in the unity of the faith to the full knowledge of the Son of God, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And wow. so that is the assignment. We're raising people up to be a full stature. Yeah. So, and, and it comes in its various forms, but it, it does start with, this idea of being willing to just leak Christ, if you will, in our yeah. environments. And some of us are called uniquely as those fivefold people, but others just have spiritual gifts. I, I'll give you a, a story of my wife in the marketplace. Um, her very first day of work, interestingly, at the, at the new school she was at, the principal said, you know, there's this kid in the playground, or kid in the school, and he bites people. And he scratches and he creates all sorts of chaos. And if he does anything like that on the playground, send him to the, the you know, the principal's office. And so she goes out there with a little fear and trepidation. And this kid, literally, that same kid walks up and leans against her for the entire playground period. Wow. And she said, Lord, what was that? And she said to the little guy, honey, why did you do that? Why did you lean against me? And the kid just responded, well, when I leaned against you, the voices in my head stopped. Wow. <laughs> and you realize she was actually just praying under her breath for this kid and the demons were silenced. And so, I mean, this is that we're, we're training people to be that in the marketplace, wherever their environment is. That was in the schools, as it turned out. Wow. So that's that's amazing. Well, why don't you share with us a few of the guiding principles that really have informed your leadership over the years. Obviously, you've talked about some in terms of really seeking to make others great yeah. as being a foundation stone. But I know there's a number of other things that you have hit yeah. upon that have become like, a, in a sense, the constellation that guides your your journey. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll put a phrase to the, the thing we just talked about, making people great. 
here's my phrase people precede programs yeah and if i can that's easy for me to remember people <clears throat> precede programs if i brought, bring that into banking if i bring that into the school system uh, and i i'm doing that in my seminary classes that i'm teaching mm -hmm. the person and their call is much more important than whether they get an a on their homework Mm. And as long as I take that into any environment, I think I'm making a great people. The next phrase I, I like to use is integrity precedes office. Wow. And that I've made some mistakes by promoting people that are gifted, but didn't have the character to sustain what they were gifted in. And any of you that have done that, you know, it's an absolute disaster because they blow people up, they blow things up. And, and so our one of our my key values is I will look at someone's character or integrity before I promote them in any kind of ministry or leadership. Mm -hmm. And I used to think it was godly character, like they have a passion for God, they're filled with the Holy Spirit, you know, they're a son in the house, and you know, they understand the values that we carry. But actually, what I've discovered is many are not emotionally and, re and relationally healthy. Wow, and they had gaps in their upbringing, and so they're 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 gifted. They they love the Lord deeply, but they still blow people up because they can't emotionally. They are emotionally triggered in bad situations, or they they have relational deficits. So mm. I've included this issue of integrity. I I I went beyond character to integrity to kind of capture this idea that that the people I'm wanting to promote have to be healthy. And in fact, I'm looking for a worship leader right now, and we've got some very gifted leaders. And one of my staff just was in my office this morning and said, you know, that person's uber gifted, but they're not relationally healthy at all. And mm. that's actually true. And, and so most <laughs> likely we'll pass them by, even though we like their, their worship leadership the most, but if they're going to become a worship pastor, they've got to be healthy. So Wow. I think the other is um, faithfulness precedes responsibility. And I've heard you say this. We we were coached the same way, fat Christians, uh, faithful, available, and teachable. But if somebody's not faithful and follow through, I'm not going to give them additional responsibility. And so typically I am giving people small tests, small assignments. I'm watching to see what they'll do with it. And I typically do that before I put anyone in a leadership office mm. uh, because they have to, I mean, Jesus was so clear. He who's faithful in little should be faithful in much. And the one with one talent, when they were faithful, were given another, they became two. Or the minus, which is even more significant, Luke 19. You're well done, good and faithful servant. I will give you charge over 10 cities. Right. <laughs> so if we actually want to steward <laughs> cities in the kingdom, and steward the marketplace, we have to be faithful with what we're given. And so I had to be faithful with my small department treasury management before I could be faithful with something larger. I had to be faithful when I was a church of 20 to be faithful with a church of 650. Right. So I, I think that thing of faithfulness precedes responsibility is really key. Wow. And then I think the other is humility um, precedes authority. I am looking for humble leaders. I have found that when people don't carry and exude humility, they're typically building their own kingdom. And as you know, that's counter to Jesus and his kingdom. And so I'm watching to see who will take the low road, clean the toilet, so to speak, and 
when something amazing happens, they give credit to the Lord or somebody else around them, and they just don't draw attention to themselves. So, wow, those are a couple. Um, the other is um, inspiration precedes perspiration. I know that sounds weird, <laughs> but I'd rather have the fire of God drive what we're doing, the the movement of the Spirit, than trying to build programs. And wow. and actually, that happened this Sunday at our church. Um, I had a sermon prepared, but I felt like the Lord said, be prepared. It might break out on Sunday um, differently. And it, sure enough, the Holy Spirit dropped in the room. We had a joy outbreak. And it was a really crazy joy outbreak. Some people actually did some stage diving from the front into the crowd, <laughs> the mosh pit at the front. And um, But that would never happen. And what that will do is that will create momentum for us as a church. But that came from the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, not the programs, what we were sweating to make happen. Right. So that's a key thing for me in leadership. I could give you dozens, Michael, but those are a couple of thoughts. Oh, gosh. I, I would love to have those just summarized really quickly without explanation. But what are the, it was like four or five of these things yeah. that you're saying. People precede programs. Okay. Integrity precedes office. Faithfulness precedes responsibility. Humility precedes authority, and inspiration precedes perspiration. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. So those are incredible points of advice for every leader on the call, whether you're a marketplace leader, whether you're a, a church leader, whether you're a nonprofit leader of some kind, church planter. I mean, those five little sayings are enough to just uh, honestly, like if you have those five in your toolbox, you're going to be building a good house. Yeah. And if you don't, you're going to have some challenges. That's amazing. Yeah. So how would you summarize what we've been talking about? How would you land this plane in terms of telling that that young leader that you were or telling, yeah. let's say, some leader that you're sitting down with, how would they go after these things? I would tell a young leader and I would have told myself decades, you know, a couple of years, decades ago sort of thing that. um get out of the weeds of the ministry or get out of the weeds of your job to the point where you can actually spend a good portion of your time building into other people around you to allow them to become better. If you do that, you will be built. And um, I think the other thing I would say is, and I learned this from the marketplace, is we really do want the Holy Spirit to bring kingdom breakthroughs. And I can't tell you the breakthroughs that I had in banking where I sought the Holy Spirit and he provided an answer that actually um, literally changed our department and mm -hmm. brought a new product to bear or uh, landed an amazing customer uh, where I got divine solutions in meetings from the Lord directly. So. Mm -hmm. I don't think I knew that early. I was so concerned about doing everything right, maybe doing it myself, um, trying to perform to please my boss that I didn't realize if I just rely on the Holy Spirit, he's actually going to bring in the, you know, the sales or he's going to give the product answer or he'll do something that actually that I can't do that will make me amazing. And Amen. so I wish I knew that as a young leader. Wow. That would have really helped me. And then I did make one mistake, Michael, that I, I would really counsel. I empowered. I'm so collegial. I, I reacted to the CEO leadership. Let me know if we're over on time here. No, we're good. 
we're good. But we, um, I reacted to that by creating a team and equally empowering, empowering them. If you will, I almost had a star model of leadership, not that, you know, not that the starfish where you can cut off a leg and it reproduces, but more of like, we each had an equal voice and that became dysfunctional because any leader in organization needs somebody at the top. That's ultimately in charge, the go-to, the father, uh, the person that is in charge. And that's come back to bite me on a couple occasions. I lost yeah. a couple of leadership teams with people taking the liberty and the license of that. And if you will, usurping authority and, um, Mm. And so I would say leaders need to lead forthrightly. They need to empower people, but they're still the leader. Yes. And they need to remember they're the one that <clears throat> God is looking to. And yes, empower everybody, but I empowered too much and I created my own dysfunction a couple of times. Wow. I, I learned the lesson uh, on two different occasions. It was very costly. <laughs> oh man, I've done the same thing. I've been part of co-equal leadership teams that oh. ended up in the worst place. In fact, <laughs> that's why I love the the family model of doing church or doing doing even organization of any kind, is that when you have a gracious mother or father. Yeah, you know, empowering sons and daughters. There's something about that generational uh, dynamic that still, yeah. you know, it's the captain and the team together. Yes, and 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 I I really see that as just a, a key principle that needs to carry on. Well, you know, you are one of our advisors in Leaders Alliance, yeah. and uh, you know, you're advising us in terms of theological stuff. You're advising us in terms of what we call thought leadership, yeah. is how to take the strict theology of the kingdom and and really try to aim it towards culture in a way that really produces the highest yield, the highest yeah. uh, impact. And um, I don't know if you have anything to say about that issue as we wrap up, you know, just yeah. how important is it that the church tune in to what's going on both theologically in terms of the ancient truths of the scripture, but also understanding how they apply in the immediate in, present without compromise. In the Talk culture, yeah. You know, one of my favorite books, I read it in seminary uh, decades ago, and um, I've taught on it from the pulpit at my church. It's called Christ and Culture by Richard Niebuhr. Mm, yeah. Christ and Culture. And basically what he does is he draws a paradigm of Christ against culture. We're just going to withdraw. We're going to do our own thing to um, Christ and paradox with culture, um, which would be sort of Paul. We're in the world, but not of the world to Christ transforming culture in the middle. And then on the, on the left, it would be things like Christ above culture or the Christ of culture. And I think in our, in our nation and our world today, we're seeing the spirit of the antichrist is dividing into sort of radical, right, radical left. And so we're finding believers either being totally against government, against culture, or believers, yeah, especially our Gen Z, like wandering from biblical Christianity and embracing the culture. So I think that's an amazing read um, to, you know, we get grounded in the scriptures, make sure we're centered in understanding core Orthodox theology, but then we have to decide our position. Okay. And I think the kingdom view is somewhere between in paradox, transforming and above culture I think there's room in there for, for Jesus to be moving in both left and right paradigms, but not at the extremes. And so I think that read would be helpful to people to think about how do I position my church? So I'm not making political comments. I'm training them on the kingdom. 
and letting, if you will, the kingdom paradigm is supposed to disciple the nations. And the problem is we're sometimes getting behind things in our culture that are actually taking us away from the kingdom. That's right. That, yeah, it's just a thought. It's kind of a high level thought, but I, I'm very passionate that we touch our culture, but the way we touch the culture really matters. Well, I'd love to have you back on one of our future podcasts, maybe do a little bit of a panel discussion with a couple of others around this topic, because okay. I really believe that it's it's one of the big traps that the enemy has set for the church right now is to either go one way or the other in extreme rather than yeah. to stay devoted to the kingdom. Because if the right and the left are on a single spectrum or a single uh, paradigm, yeah. the kingdom's not on that paradigm. It's up here somewhere. It's above it. And it's... <laughs> It's 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 completely different. And I think that's the issue that we're missing at times. And it is a strategy of the enemy because, you know, the kingdom is going to be expanding. And that's where all my barbels are in the kingdom basket. Absolutely. And that's really what we're after, you know, with with Leaders Alliance, kingdom minded men and women coming together from marketplace and from ministry, church ministry to really fuse and form um, a strategic army in a sense of love that's going to bring transformation to the world around us yeah. anyway so great to have you on this call oh, it's and, so good. Uh, thank you i'm so happy you've been with us and uh again you know you're you're on board as one of our advisors so you you know if you're watching this podcast or listening to it you're gonna you're gonna hear from peter into the future as well but anyway let's pray can you just pray for us as we close just yeah. an impartation of your leadership grace and uh and then we'll move to close Thank you so much, Michael. Well, Lord, I first pray for those that are in the marketplace, and I'll make that large, anything from education to finance to law to schooling. We just say, Lord, would you give grace on their life to carry and host the presence of Jesus and the Holy Spirit and a kingdom-mindedness with kingdom principles for where they work? I pray that you would open a spirit of revelation for them to see how they can lead in the environment and lead just influence in their environment with kingdom principles. And I pray for a grace to actually be able to stand in confidence related to that. And I pray for those that are in ministry environments, um, releasing the kingdom, Lord, that there'd be grace on their leadership. To I feel like this is so needed in the church right now to create a leader after leader, a succession of leadership so that they can go to 100-year vision. Because, Lord, without that successional leadership, the church is one generation away from extinction. Mm. And so I just pray that you would give grace to leaders to, to step off their platform and empower others to run with what they have sown a foundation for and to lead in the next generation. I thank you for this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. And that's really what Leaders Alliance is all about. You know, we're hoping to position ourselves to be the answer to that last portion of prayer that you prayed, Peter. Anyway, God bless you. Thanks for joining yeah. us for this uh, podcast. Those of you in the future that are watching it in archives, God bless you as well. And uh, let's let's continue, Peter. Let's let's change the world together. Let's do it. <laughs>